Welcome to the Bookworm Collective. This episode, we will be discussing fictional realms. All right, so for this episode, we thought it would be fun if we talked about some of our favorite fictional realms, as well as some popular fictional realms. So we'll be talking about some books that we really enjoyed and that we know that most people have read either from school or from just them being very popular books. Yeah. And so we thought we'd go through some of these and we'll do our best to try not to spoil any of these books. Um, but we are talking about like the world that these people live in and just kind of like envisioning ourselves in the world and just kind of going through like, what are some things that we would like if we lived in that world, but also like what we would really not like, because a lot of times there's, um, there's not a perfect world for you. Yeah, so we're going to go ahead and get started with this first world, which is actually in the Scythe Trilogy by Neil Shusterman. So the Scythe Trilogy is set in a dystopian future with immortality, and then there's also this really powerful AI called the Thunderhead. And this AI is basically running the entire world, making sure that everything that needs to get done is done, um, no one really has to work or any of that, but you can still work if you want to. And then there are also these scythes, and these scythes maintain the population by ki killing people, and the Thunderhead really just oversees the entire society. Yeah, so the society is like way in the future, and basically they have overcome death completely. And as a society, they decided like, we can't just have like an infinite number of people on earth. There is a maximum amount. And so somebody has to die or we need to figure out how to go to other planets. And they like really struggle to get to other planets, you know, before this book is set. So they like basically decide that the size have like a quota. So there's a certain number of people that they have to kill every single year. And, um, you know, like they just, pick these people however they choose like that's up to the scythe and then they kill them and those people will like never come back to life whereas like if somebody died for whatever other reason but wasn't killed by a scythe they actually can be like regenerated or like brought back to life i forget what the actual term is that they use but like um it's not a permanent death. And so it's kind of separated from the Thunderhead because they decided that um, in order for somebody to pick and choose who dies, they need it to be somebody that can die, like somebody that understands that concept. So the Thunderhead doesn't do anything with the size. It's very, very separated. Uh, it's a really interesting world to imagine because like you, nobody dies in it unless you're, randomly selected by a scythe yeah so that's kind of one of the things that really brought me into the book is because into this trilogy because you you get to see the path of the entire world really throughout the entire series in the first book it focuses on two people but in the second book it kind of just broadens to the entire world and how everything is impacted by the government of these scythes. 
um, and the Thunderhead kind of working together, but also they can't work together at all because the Thunderhead can't do anything with the with death and what the scythes do. Yeah, the first book really focuses on the scythes. Like, that's what it, like, focuses a lot on. And you kind of get to see that world. But you don't really realize how different this world is from where we are today until you get to book two. Because book two focuses a lot more on the Thunderhead, which is this, like, AI. And I really think the Thunderhead is, like, one of the coolest parts of this world. Because it's like this like system that basically has access to everything and basically makes the entire world run as like the most efficient thing possible. And it's just really cool to think of like, you know, could we ever get to that world where there is like some system out there that helps us optimize the world as much as possible? You know, like there are so many things we do today that we know just aren't optimal, but AI can kind of help us get there. So another kind of interesting thing in this world is that you have you have a long time on Earth to do whatever you want. So you can you can explore all of those things that kind of interest you, unless if you are one of the randomly selected people who are selected for death and not coming back. So like you you have opportunities to do what you want. So Let's say you wanted to be an author for a little bit and then you're like, oh, that's kind of boring. So then you kind of work on something else that you're really interested in. Like you're not limited to a 75 year lifespan if that's like you you have more time than what you normally do. And that's kind of another interesting thing is because people can actually explore all of their interests in pretty pretty good depth. And I think that's one of the things that kind of interests me about this world, but you also have the uncertainty of not knowing when you will die. So, Yeah, you, you never know when you'll die. And, I mean, in today's world, you also don't know that. So, I mean, I guess like that's not really that different, but I think that you know, the way everybody lives today, like, you know, you have a finite amount of time, like you're going to die, you know, and this has got really like, you know, what a concept to be discussing on this podcast, <laughs> but um, like you, you know that you're going to die. Whereas in this world, it's like you, ne- you could never die. It just is a matter of when does a scythe pick you? And the percentage is like less than, you know, it's it's really unlikely that you'll get picked. But still, somebody does. So you're you're kind of always having to worry about that in the back of your mind. So that would definitely be unpleasant, you know, like just this constant worry of like at any moment somebody could come up to me and just kill me forever. And um, you know, like in today's world, like it's really awful to n- know people that like get sick and it's like this long process, but they like, they know that like it's kind of coming, but like that never happens in this world. In the Scythe trilogy, it's always like this person in a robe like shows up and then they murder you. <laughs> you know, like that's how everybody goes. And then there's also the thing with 
the possibility of you getting immunity immunity too. Like if you are related to the person who has died, or if you're there, um, sometimes size will be will give you immunity. And if you're actually related to that person, you the scythes are required to give you immunity for a year. And that lasts for a year. But then scythes can also give it out give out immunity whenever they want. So then you're always trying to be like, whenever there's a scythe around, you're trying to get on their good side and see if they'll give you immunity. So there's also that that kind of makes your your life less pleasant too, because you're trying to you're trying to prevent something that there is already that slim chance. And then that the way that you prevent it is only like for a year. It's never permanent. So there's not really a good way to escape it. Yeah. And the only way to make it permanent is to have a family member become a scythe or you yourself become a scythe. And, you know, then you get Im- immortality until that scythe dies and like scythes only can die if they decide to basically kill themselves and um i don't know it it's just interesting that like in that world you could just take a ton of risk with like essentially no downside to them at all like you know this is like a you know, tons of people do it like they go skydiving, but there are tons of people that don't go skydiving because they're concerned about, well, what if this happens and what if this happens, you know, and like that would be gone, you know, so those types of things, those like risky actions you could take in your life, people would be doing them left and right. And there are some things about that that I think would be cool. And so like I could see how you'd put that on a pro, but there's also like if nothing has risk, then there's also not like a lot of reward to those things because like people who love to go skydiving, they like it because there is that little bit of a risk element to it, you know? But if you know that if like I go skydiving and then like the parachute doesn't go and I like splat on the ground, I'm just going to get recovered, you know, like it doesn't, it's not going to matter. And so I think that that also like would, causes this world that we kind of see in this trilogy to just kind of like fall apart because nothing really matters. That's kind of another thing about this series that really like there's a lot of things in this series that brought me into it to make me really love the series. And Harrison also really enjoys this series too. Um, And, like, just the way that the society changes throughout the entire trilogy is really interesting because in the first book, you kind of see just, like, a really really perfect world where it seems like nothing can go wrong. Like, you you have your normal things in the sides compared to, like, today's world where, like, there's kind of two divisions, but they're constantly fighting and it's not really that big of a deal. And then in the next book, like everything blows up. And then in the third book, it blows up even more than what you thought it was going to be. And it's just like, I was not, the reader doesn't expect for those changes to happen. And that brought me into the book. But if you were to actually like live in this world, it'd be terrible to experience because you would have no idea what's going on half of the time. And then, the end of the book 
half of the people on earth would just feel very left out and felt abandoned. Like, I'm not going to say the end of the book because it's very good and you should just read the series anyway. But, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It, it is really, really good. And one of the things that's cool about the way the trilogy is done is in the first book, you like discover this world and you go through it. And, you know, when you go to the second book, it still builds off of that world, but the world changes a lot and it's not just like the add-on more things and it goes in more in depth like like the harry potter series like the the magic world is built in the first book and then when you move on to the second book like it's built on top of the world in world the world in book one like it gets more intricate and you find out more details whereas in this when you get to book two it's still built on you find out some more details about it but it also changes a lot and you kind of just can see how it's totally different than what was in book one. And then it happens again in book three. And I think with these books, one of the coolest parts is learning the world and just kind of like getting the whole sta- getting the whole stage set. And I think that just in general, when I'm like watching these types of movies or reading these types of books, like this is one of my favorite parts is like the world buildup where you find out all these details And I think it's really cool that in the Scythe trilogy, each book has an opportunity to kind of do that and build on the world and kind of change it, which is pretty cool. So the next book that we wanted to talk about the world is Ready Player One. It's really hard to look at like fictional realms that are really cool that you might want to live in and kind of take some parts and like bring into today's reality and not talk about Ready Player One. So the whole concept of Ready Player One is that this society is totally immersed in a virtual reality called the Oasis. And it's just this huge digital universe and people use it almost 100% of the time just to escape just like how horrible the reality that their lives are right now. And they just can kind of enter into this like simulation and these avatars and just get away from everything. And the world is very, very cool. And one of the things that's interesting when you read the book is it's all based off of virtual reality, which is something that is starting to come into the world today. So it's not hard to read this book and see that simulated like the oasis digital world of all of this that we're not really that far off from it which i think is pretty cool yeah and a kind of neat thing about this book is that it really the whole plot is based off of like an easter egg hunt that you have to go through so you get to see all of the things that are going on in this virtual reality and like there's so many things that could be done in here but it's like none of this stuff is actually happening happening because it's in virtual reality and they and they live in that um awful world and it and it makes sense to like that that makes the oasis makes sense as a good invention and why people are using it because it does provide a good escape from the reality of that world like earth is in earth is really polluted there's trash everywhere um like it's not it's not a great place to be in and while that that technically is like a good thing about the oasis there's all that's also kind of bad because you 
you do all of these things in it, but you're not doing anything that really contributes to helping the real world. And even one of the characters is like, they, they, they're working on this Easter egg hunt because they, they want to better the world with the reward from that. So like, it's just, it make the Oasis is a good thing really, because you get that escape, but it's just, it's not really beneficial in the long run when you're at, when you look at the real world and all of that. Yeah. And, it is a fine line to walk because like, you know, like a lot of the experiences that you can have in the Oasis are like above and beyond what you could have in the real world. So, you know, it, it kind of makes the real world seem very boring and you kind of get like all your senses are dulled to that. And, um, it kind of causes people to forget that the real world exists, which for some people, like when well, most people, I guess in the book, that's why they got on the Oasis. But if everybody is doing that, it means that you've forgotten about the real world. And so like the whole book is based around this character. Um, his name is Wade and he like lives in like extreme poverty and, um, basically uses the Oasis to escape from everything. And some of those things from the real world it come into the game. Like, he doesn't have a whole lot of money. And so, like, that does affect him as he's trying to, you know, go on this Easter egg hunt. But he can kind of forget about the rest of the situation around him of, like, he's having kind of a rough family life. And, you know, there's all this other stuff. And it's easy to forget about those. And so that is both a pro and a con. If you're always ignoring it, it's never going to get better. And if everybody's ignoring it, it's all going to tank. And so, um, you know, that is, it's just a really rough thing that, um, you know, if this is something that ever becomes a reality for us is something that we're going to have to figure out because, um, you can't be so immersed in this digital world that you forget that the physical world exists. And that's kind of something they play with throughout this whole game. Like, okay, in the virtual world, you can die and just be brought back in for like a quarter or whatever, you know, like it's nothing. But like, that's not how the real world works. If you die in the real world, you also die in the virtual world. So yeah. um, it's it's really interesting, like in general, but the, the coolest thing about the whole world that they've built is just like, just all of the stuff that is dreamed up that that you could do inside of the Oasis is so cool. Yeah, and like you have, you can do anything you want to. You can create things that uh, have never been created. You're not limited by um, the current technology. Like you have unlimited resources in this Oasis so you don't have to worry about any of those things. And that, that really makes the experience in the Oasis very fun. And you get and you're able to use all of these uh resources for whatever you really want to do. So if you wanted to um learn something uh, if you wanted to learn, for example, to build rocket ships and you don't have to worry about abandoning uh a green little dude on on a planet similar to Mars like you 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 have all of these opportunities but you also get lost in this fun and um 
you worry about making sure that you're having all of this fun in the game, but then you're you're making you're not making sure that like when you're out of the game for the short times that they are out of the game, um, it they're making they're not making it the most enjoyable experience because like Harrison said earlier, he Wade doesn't have a good family life like. He, he's struggling and so what he does is he just goes to the oasis to kind of ignore it instead of and so so does his family members but um no the problems aren't really ever solved so it's just it like there's a there's many good things and many bad things that come along with the oasis yeah and um i think like the coolest thing throughout the books with the oasis is um the whole book is based around like 80s pop culture. And so there's like tons of references to, you know, just things that came up around that era. You know, like one of the big things that pops up a lot is Star Wars. And, um, you know, there's like Star Wars, there's Dungeons and Dragons. There's a lot of music references, a ton of movies references, which is just cool. And one of the things that like happens in the, the um, book in the egg hunt is that they like recreate an entire movie. So you could like be in it and like, that would be really cool. Like that would be a really, really fun game to play. And there are tons of people that would really enjoy that. And so I think that that is really kind of a neat thing with it. Just that you could build whatever you want and kind of do whatever you want. But something that they battle with in the book is this corporate greed. And like in this world where anything is possible, um, how much of it does get taken over by corporations? And um, I I don't think that either of us is going to say that like corporations are 100% bad or 100% good, but this like there's this corporation throughout the book that basically is trying to take over and monetize everything so that people who maybe don't have a lot of money they can't really do anything and so like then they're just kind of like shut out from this virtual world where the whole point is like you can build do anything and so if they kind of take it over you know that couldn't happen which would be really awful but it's also so realistic like i really could imagine that if that's the world that we built that's that's what would end up happening um our next one is 1984 so 1984 is, I mean, when the book was written, it was set in the future, but it was set in the year 1984. And it's kind of this society that's ruled by this totalitarian regime. And the party is called Big Brother. And basically, they have access to everything. They can see what's going on all the time, and they do this through technology. They're monitoring, surveying, and just like constantly seeing what every person does with every second of their time. And they're very, very, um, I guess, like abusive with the way they do this. So as soon as somebody is breaking the rules or something, like they're going to show up and basically deal with it but also all like the news and historical records that are around are kind of manipulated to fit the party's agenda you know so a ton of propaganda is being generated um and so it's just this very oppressive world but it's all based around tech it's all based around technology 
what I think makes this world interesting is it was written a while ago, but you know, with the idea of where we would be in the future and that, that future has already passed, but it's really interesting to kind of look at the world that uh, George Orwell dreamed up and just think like how different is the world today than the world that he actually dreamed up? Because there's a lot of things that are very similar and essentially like a lot of the tools that are put in place in 1984 are in place today but there are like just some key differences in the way that people use them whether that's because that's like how people have decided to use the tool or like there's laws in place and things like that um, that kind of like force you to use it in a more ethical way than what happens in 1984. Yeah, so one of the big things in 1984 is all like how restricted everything is. So the, it, the main goal, the biggest thing that Big Brother focuses on is like, just limiting independent thought. You have to believe what Big Brother believes. No one actually knows who Big Brother is, but everyone is forced to believe in it. There's also this language that is developed in uh, in this story, and it's newspeak, which really just restricts anyone's thought process so that so that they are forced to think in a very specific way that doesn't um, that doesn't um, add any personality or it doesn't give you any expression or independent thought or anything else that's going on. You're forced to think about Big Brother and all of this. And like the main character, I'm pretty sure he's working on another dictionary for Newspeak. Uh, it's like just another version of that dictionary and they add all of these words, but they also are removing words too. And like, it's very restrictive in your, um, in like that freedom of expressing yourself that helps us kind of realize who we are as individuals. And they're just trying to create a lot of people. They're trying to make a lot of people be the same. So that's just kind of what is going on throughout the story. And it just doesn't seem enjoyable. Like, I I don't think either of us want to live in that world. No, I, I don't think this is a world anybody would want to live in. You know, but it's interesting that this, like, world that was kind of dreamed up, it is kind of similar to where we are today. It's not really where we were in 1984, but it is much more similar to today. You know, like... Um, in this book, you know, there's like this part where like cameras are everywhere. So it's very easy for like, you know, essentially the government to kind of look in on a person at any given time. And when you like just look around like your house or, you know, school or your work, like wherever you are, like there's cameras all over the place. And, um, you know, even now, like it's really common for people to have like something that like can cover up a camera that's like a physical thing because they're concerned that somebody's looking into their camera when they're not, you know, when they're not saying that they should be allowed to. And, you know, there's like stuff like that, that it's like, that could be a world that we live in today where like somebody is doing that, you know, or even something like, um, 
you know, the main character, like at one part of this, he's like keeping a journal where he's like writing things that are against the party and like against big brother. And so, you know, it's like, it's like a big brother is watching and he like puts like a grain of like rice or maybe like a piece of dust or something, you know, on this journal. Cause he's worried someone else is going to see it because it's like a physical thing. But when you look at the way we use technology today, I mean, myself included in this, there are tons of people out there that they don't write a lot of things like physical. It's like, they just keep things digitally all the time. And, um, those types of things are way easier for other people to monitor. And so like your privacy starts to kind of like go away. And um, I mean, you definitely don't want to live in this world, but it's just interesting to see like what the parallels are with our world today and just kind of like looking at it. If you know, like I, I don't want to live in this world, what needs to be put in place? Like what practices do I need to follow? And does the world need to follow to make sure we don't end up in a world like this? Because I mean, when you read 1984, it's, it's pretty rough. Like, you know, some of the stuff that happens towards the end of the book, it's like really, really awful. Um, so probably not a lot of things that I would take from this. I mean, one thing that's kind of nice though, is like, you don't have to make any decisions for yourself. Someone else is making them for you. But if you disagree with those decisions, um, well, you're kind of out of luck, I guess. But you can't you know? even disagree with those decisions because of how the way the society was formed. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, if, if you're a fan of uh, not having any control over anything in your life, then maybe, maybe this is the world for you. But I, if I had to guess, um, I don't think many people will want to live in this world. Well, the last world that we're going to dive into is The Giver. So this is this world is very utopian where it they try to avoid any pain and suffering everything is same and that's very much valued in this society all all emotions are really suppressed like you have to talk about your dreams every morning you have to like talk through um your emotions and how you feel at night about how your day went so there's a lot of making sure that like everyone feels okay and like no one's going no one feels mad at each other or any of that and then um the one of the most interesting parts of this books of this book is that memories of the past are held by a single person in this um city we'll call <laughs> in this city um, and this person is the receiver of memory. And the government is really trying to control every aspect of life. So they they do career assignments and family units. So they they see what people and see what the kids enjoy doing, and then they will assign um, what their career will be, what on based off of what they see that these people are interested in. But the kids actually don't get a chance to make a choice or um, like maybe they enjoy doing something else, but they're forced to do this. So they can't really do that. And then they're also assigned family units. So like if you want to get married, you have to send in an application and then they'll match you with someone. And then if you want to have a kid, you have to send in another application and then they will give you a kid. So 
um, there there really isn't any individuality or any personal choices that you have to make in this society. And that's just, that's kind of what this whole thing is based off of. Yeah, and I think that some people would say like, not having to make a ton of choices is like a pro. And I mean, maybe, but you're doing that at like the sacrifice of like having any say in your life at all. So I, it would definitely feel like things just kind of like roll by. I mean, I think it's crazy that the way like the society is set up today, like we basically tell people that they have to say what they want to do for the rest of their life when they like graduate high school, you know, and like, that is a crazy concept to begin with. And that's not how it works out for most people, but that's what people are kind of told. And I can't even imagine that now, like the decision for what do you do for the rest of your life is made at a really young age, but that decision is not made by you. It's made by somebody else who doesn't really know you. They just have observed you. And that I just think is like crazy and would just lead to a very bland life. And in general, this whole world is very bland. Like the people don't experience like color, you know, like, and that I think was like one of the most interesting things when you read the book. Um, like you just like picture it all in black and white, you know, cause that's how it's all described. But there's this one person, you know, the receiver of memory that they experience color, you know, they kind of experience life to the fullest and, it's just like a really interesting, you know, kind of like, like method to kind of express that throughout the book. It, it, I found that like very interesting, but I just can't imagine like living in a world where you, you, you would never have any clue what any colors are, you know? Um, and so I just think in general, this world, the, they're trying to like optimize the amount of good that there is so that, um, you know, everybody can be the most happy, you know, but it's not like they want me to be the happiest I can be. It's like, if I am a little bit less happy, but somebody else can be the same happiness as me, you know, like, whereas in the other world, if I'm more happy and then someone else is less, like, that's, that's not good. We want everybody to kind of have like this same experience. And, um, you know, it's kind of like in The Incredibles when, um, you know, Dash, Dash is basically saying, it's like, well, if everybody is super, then nobody is. You know, it's like in the effort to make everybody the exact same, everybody be happy and enjoy this life, you basically are making it so everybody has this bland life that nobody enjoys. Yeah, and then you give one person all of these experiences that, like, they, they can't even talk to anyone about them because they're so limited and, like, uh, I, I'm currently rereading this book and going through it. It's just like that person can't talk to anyone about this stuff. So it's just like, yeah, you have the receiver of memory, but they don't really do all that much. They just have to deal with all of these experiences. Sometimes they get called into like a council meeting, but that is not very often. And like, what what are you going to do because you can't even tell them your experiences so it's like you feel very isolated as the receiver of memory and you have all of these experiences but everyone else has this same um this feeling of sameness and like 
even at the very beginning of the book, when you first are meeting these main characters, you 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 don't even know that uh, they can't see color. Like it's not even mentioned in the beginning. And it's very confusing because you you're picturing the world in like red and green like you you imagine a red apple when this person is talking about an apple but then later on when he said when the main character says um i saw the apple change as i threw it in the air it's like how did the apple change when he threw it in the air and then later on it's explained so it's just like you don't really understand what's going on half of the time in the book because you don't un you don't know yet that the world is all same. And then you kind of see this new receiver of memory get trained and he doesn't he doesn't understand why we went to the sameness because like the little things in your day um they they provide some kind of uniqueness like if it was a sunny day maybe you had a little bit better day or maybe you had to do a bunch of yard work outside like like you you can't really choose or if it's snowy you can't you can't choose to build a snowman or go go sledding like there's just sameness is very interesting to look at but you can you can see in these books, The Giver and 1984, really, um, how that kind of affects the entire society and kind of dolls everything down for everyone else. Yeah, and I think that, you know, like with Hunger Games, 1984, The Giver, like these aren't really worlds that I think when you read it, that if you were just randomly placed into the world as just like anybody, you didn't have, you didn't get to pick where you were in the world. These worlds wouldn't really be fun to live in. Like maybe the giver, the world, if you wouldn't be so bad, if you were the receiver of memory, but like, you know, if you were any of the other spots, you, it, it wouldn't really be that great. And I think that, um, you know, just in general, I think that that's one of my things I enjoy most about these books that transport you somewhere different. You know, it's it's a totally different world and you kind of get to learn about how this world functions and things like that. It's it's not always to take a look at it and say like, this is, oh, I wish my world was like this. It's just like a different, a different world that you can kind of like think through and be like, oh, would I like it this way? Would I not like it this way? And just kind of like take a look at it that way. Because like 1984, The Giver, you know, they really do show, even though a lot of people might think, oh, I want everybody to be the same. I just want it all to be the same all the time. When you could kind of like look at these worlds and think through them, you're like, maybe this isn't what I really want, you know? And, um, you know, I think that's kind of the cool part about like getting to go to these different worlds when you read books is just explore something different from your day to day and just kind of give you the opportunity to think, well, what if? And I just think that that's like something that I really enjoy about reading. So with wrapping all of that up, we're going to move on to just like a quick review of one of the books that Anderson and I read this month. So um, this month, Anderson and I actually coincidentally um, read the exact same book for our review here. So we're both going to be talking about Dune. We're going to try to go through it without spoilers. So, um, you know, we only do the spoilers for the book of the month. So for Dune, if you're reading it now, you should you should be good. 
So I did not read this book specifically in this month. It took me a couple months to get through it, mostly because I had a lot going on. We had a musical going on for most of the time that I've been trying to read this book. And um, this is a good book to really sit down for an hour or two and actually just dive deep into the world because there there are a lot of really good details um, that that are kind of really neat to see once you read the entire book. Like in the beginning, there are a lot of things that are mentioned that kind of come back towards the middle of the book that are really important to know. And if you spend the time to actually read the book and pay attention to what's going on, um, you'll, you'll get a lot out of this book. So, um, I really did enjoy the story of this book. It was long, but, I think it was necessarily long. It didn't, there was always something new going on. Like, um, the main character learned a lot more towards the middle of the book. And then the very beginning of the book kind of seems confusing, but it comes back in the middle of the book. Like there's just a lot of moving pieces that all kind of click the closer that you get to the end. And then at the end, all of these pieces are, are put together and it's finished, but then there's like, it gives you the next puzzle piece. Like it doesn't give you a full puzzle piece. It gives you half of the puzzle piece to like start you on for the next book. And it just kind of leaves you off like right, right when it becomes very intense. But then at the same time, you also kind of have this feeling of knowing where where the book is going the closer you get to the end um so that it also feels anticlimactic but you're also interested on what's going on in the next book because none of it is talked about throughout um, the previous parts of the book so i think that i will continue to read the rest of the series but i really I really do need a break from these big long books because um, just reading an 800 book takes a long time to get through and uh, it, it takes a minute to read through all of those pages. Right now, this book is definitely hard to recommend for me because they recently made a movie and it's still being talked about a lot so if i talk about dune to someone the first thing that they're going to think of is the movie so there's that going on and then um and and then if you take like a percentage of the group who actually um didn't watch the movie only a percentage would be willing to spend the time to read the 756 page book or however many i know it's at least 700 pages um, so, and would it be the first book I recommend, but, but if someone was willing to dive into a really long, uh, sci-fi series, this is definitely something that I would recommend. Just know that you're going to have to, you're going to have to spend some time on it. This book is still an enjoyable book, but if you do start the series, you'll probably end up finishing out the series because, I'm pretty sure that the end of this book will be pretty similar to the end of the next book, and it will just keep repeating until you get to the end of the series. So there's just 
there's just a lot going on and there's a lot of potential for this series. So that's why I gave it four worms and I'm looking forward to finishing the series, but also a break from it. I think what Anderson's saying, like with the, the end of this is, is like so true. Like as soon as the book ended, I mean, honestly, I was kind of surprised that it ended where it did, but like right at the end, I was like, man, like I kind of wonder what's happening next, you know? And so, you know, that's kind of the, uh, I wouldn't say it like leaves you off on like this huge cliffhanger, but there's definitely a question of like what happens next. And since you know, there's other books to like fill in that story, uh, you might as well take a look at them. But um, for me, I kind of picked this up as a last minute read. I had been putting it off for a little while because it just looked so long. I mean, I saw Anderson lug around that book and I was just like, man, that thing is huge. And, um, you know, it's like a 21 hour audiobook. And sometimes when you get books that are that long, there's a lot of like fluff. It's like the writer was told it needs to be this many words. So they like tried to add a bunch of side stories and all this stuff. But Dune really wasn't that way. When I was reading it, it did not feel that long because there was always something new going on. And like Anderson said, things built off of each other a lot. So when there was a point that seemed like small and insignificant, you knew you're like, mm, this is probably going to come up later. So I should probably pay attention to it. It's not like you felt like you were just kind of breezing past it. So even though it is long, I don't really feel like it felt long while I was reading it. Um, for me, I found the beginning very, very intriguing. Like there was a lot of stuff that happened in the in, in the very beginning that I just thought was fascinating. Like they do this like test to tell if like the main character is like a human and things like that. And like I was confused at the beginning. I was like, what is even happening here? And then it kind of just like was left for a very long time. They just like didn't really mention it. And then it like starts to pop up later. And I, I really like when books do that, you know, because it, it makes you feel like every word you read is is meaningful. Um, especially with a book this long, you really need that. I would say that like the biggest downside to this book for me is it just felt like it had a lot of politics that were hard to follow. Um, like they talk a lot about like these different, like, um, you know, like different species or like groups of people, you know, like, and it's very like culturally based and, um, like figuring out the people's culture was super interesting and I enjoyed that part of the book. But um, when you try to figure out how do these different cultures like come together and like why they clash the way they do, I found it very hard to keep in my mind. <laughs> and then like throughout the book it would give you like five different names for one character because he's like he like a character might j jump in between cultures so now he's like 
he has all of these different names. So just it's just very convoluted, even though the author is using one name, like one main name when it's referred. But then the character is also referred by these other three. So you might as well just have them all known anyway. So. Yeah. yeah, it's like, here's the name that this person was born with. And then this is the name that we call them publicly. And then they join this culture. And this is what we call them inside. But if there's anybody outside of the group, we call them this name. Yeah. And this name means this in a different language. And it just, it kept going. And it's like, my goodness, pick a name, you know, like, <laughs> uh, but I really enjoyed like learning the different cultures, but the whole politics between them, I had a hard time following it and I found it like a little bit frustrating. And, um, honestly, I, I might finish the series, but I think it's like not super likely. I wasn't crazy about the book. Um, you know, I say this and I just, I am have a really hard time starting and not finishing it out. Like I was reading this like series that like it was awful. I hated it. And I was on like book seven of 12, you know, and I was like, I'm going to, I was telling Anderson, I'm like, I'm going to stop. I'm going to be done. Ended up finishing the whole series. And I hated every single one of those last books, but I still finished it. So, um, I'll probably finish Dune, but when I, when I have more time, maybe when I'm like at a downtime, like I can't figure out what I want to read, maybe I'll pick up the second book in the series, but it'll be a minute. Um, so I gave this three worms. And that brings us to the end of this episode. You can find the Bookworm Collective on Instagram at the underscore Bookworm Collective and on Facebook at the Bookworm Collective. Feel free to message us what you're currently reading or your thoughts on any of the books in this episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.